and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Last week, I shared about producing fruit in our lives, and where we ended up was talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit of the Spirit is a result of the operation of the Spirit, operating the manifestations of Spirit and and walking by the Spirit. And in order to be able to do that, of course, we have to have spirit. All of that's axiomatic. And yet, it's so important to recognize that the fruit of the spirit is that. It's not the fruit of good works. It's not the fruit of our behaving ourselves. It's not the fruit of our disciplining ourselves or in some way trying to make ourselves better people. It's a result of who we are with that new man, what God has made us to be, and what came wrapped up inherently in that gift of Holy Spirit, which then we enjoy as we manifest it and produce fruit as the byproduct. But it all comes back to that wonderful gift of Holy Spirit. And tonight we're going to look at this power of God that we received. And, you know, I don't know that every week for however long I'm going to teach on power, but it's something I'd like to focus on a bit here for a while. Different aspects because there's a lot in God's Word about this power. And you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to begin. You know... If you want to produce a crop, you have to do the work of sowing, plowing the ground, sowing the seed, and taking care of that crop. But for the spiritual fruit in our lives, it's not getting on our John Deere and plowing up the back 40. There's different work that we have to do. And it comes down to utilizing what we've been given, utilizing this gift. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, We see here that this power that we've been given is something that goes beyond just the words that we've learned and apply. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I, brethren, verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, Declaring unto you the testimony of God. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians? First Corinthians. Isn't that what I said? Second Corinthians. Did I? Yeah. So he knew. Somebody was operating that power. First Corinthians chapter two. Excuse me. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. His entering into them in Corinth, it wasn't um, all about these great words. Uh, 
it wasn't with his words alone. Certainly there were words, but it wasn't just the words that were important. It was the power. Verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in, meek, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. All of these things he's talking about, when it talks about that he was in weakness and, and trembling and so forth, it's not that he was a nervous wreck you know, coming in there because he wasn't used to talking to people. It's because he was constrained. He wasn't able to share with them the great mystery that he would have liked to. And that's what this chapter talks about, how he couldn't do that and why he couldn't do it. But he makes the point here in verse 4 that it was not with words, uh, enticing words of man's wisdom. He didn't you know, study about how to necessarily motivate people. It wasn't his fair speech. It wasn't his use of, of, you know, that he was so articulate or his great words or his salesmanship or something like that. It wasn't him trying to in some way impress them. But rather, instead of it just being enticing words of man's wisdom, it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of what? Power. It was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. One of the things I most enjoyed um, this past weekend at the advance was when I think it was Jerry talked about that anybody can talk, you know, it's not the words, but it's demonstration of power. It's the power. And that's what Paul did. He demonstrated this spiritual power. He demonstrated it to them. Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our faith, our believing, should not just stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's nothing wrong with wisdom of men. It's, it's wonderful to have wisdom. And we should be wise, and we should be wise about spiritual matters, and we should be wise about a lot of things. And wisdom is the right application of knowledge, so certainly we want that in our lives. But it's not just knowledge, and it's not even just wisdom. It's certainly not intellect. It's about power. It's about power in our lives. And that's how Paul came in there. It was about that power of God that he lived, and that's what we want to have in our lives. We want to demonstrate power. We want it in our own lives. We want to have the power of God. And if, we, if we're going to demonstrate that, if we're going to see the power of God in our lives, then we have to learn how to operate it, and we have to do it. We have to practice it. We have to exercise that power. We won't get into the different words for power this evening. Don't, the, we will just be looking at the, any verses that I go to that have the word power. will in tonight be the word dunamis. And dunamis means inherent power, potential power. And that's what we receive with this gift of Holy Spirit. That's what we get. But we have to learn to exercise it. Uh, exousia, another word for power. 
if we're going to enjoy it. It's not about just prayer. Prayer is wonderful, okay? But too many Christians want to make it so that they don't do anything except pray. They don't have to operate manifestations. They don't have to walk with word of knowledge or word of wisdom. They don't have to walk with discerning of spirits. They don't have to operate the working of miracles or gifts of healing or faith. They just pray, you know? And then it's all in God. It's all in God. But God's already given us this great gift, and it's ours to use. In Look at down in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given us to us of God. We've received the spirit of God, and because of that we have power, and through that we know the things that are given us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The words that they were sharing were not man's wisdom, but the words that were received through that gift of the Holy Spirit. The very words that he was sharing with them that are written, that we're reading this evening, those words were a result of operating power. Those words themselves were the demonstration of spiritual power because they were received by revelation. Verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man doesn't receive those words. And boy, when you talk, when you talk to the natural man and you tell him that there is power, when you tell the natural man that he can have power in his life if he wants it, or you tell him that you walk with the power of God, that's just crazy to him. That's just foolish. You mean to tell me that you think God talks to you? You mean to tell me that you think that you, know, you can do miracles? That's just crazy. That's just foolish to him. And for the carnal Christian as well, for the carnal Christian, the idea that we could actually have some power in our lives is beyond them. Why? Whoever heard of such a crazy thing? And here, there it is. There it is. You know, and what's really crazy is when it is Christians that don't believe that because what do they believe? You know, how do they think this came along? And do they think God's no longer able or is he just mad at everybody that he won't talk to anybody now? Did he just at some point say, you know, I've lost my patience and I'm not going to talk to anyone anymore or do anything anymore. And, and I, miracles are gone. I, I've just run out of gas or I'm just not willing to do it for folks. That's what's crazy. Verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. And it goes on. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. We have this power, and this power was given first on the day of Pentecost. Just 
Jesus Christ told them, he told his, his disciples he, that this was going to happen. He promised it to them. And, and here in Acts chapter 1 on the day of the ascension, when he's with the 12 right before he does ascend, he reminds them of this. We'll see back in the Gospels that he had been telling, telling them about this for some time and in, letting them know that they were going to receive this power and what it would do. But here, this is his last-minute instructions. He's about to leave. He is about to leave. He knows it. And the most important thing that he needs to communicate to them is to receive this power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. They were to stay in Jerusalem because they were going to get something, this promise that he had told them about. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Pretty soon now, pretty soon you're going to receive Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. This is what he's telling them to wait for. This is what he's telling them they're going to get. And... You can see that they're really right there with them in the next verse. Verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this, at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Because that's what they're still looking for. <laughs> you know, that's what people thought the Messiah was going to do, that he was going to restore the kingdom, get rid of those Romans, make the kingdom of Israel top dog, make them independent, make them the, the former glory that they had. And, you know, it still hasn't happened. So he's saying, well, you know, well, at that time you restore the kingdom? Verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When a person gets born again, they receive power. Yes, they receive eternal life, that's part of it, but it's not just about the future. Right at that moment, they have power the power of God to exercise in their lives. And here it was, they receive it at that day of Pentecost, and yet, as long ago as that was, there are so many people that are still <laughs> waiting for power. So many people that don't know they have it, don't know how to exercise it, and don't know what it's good for. You know, it makes me think of other power that's in the world. Electricity has been in the world since God first put the world in order, since he first created it, and you know, it's been available for us to for man to utilize since man was put on the earth. And yet, you go a long time before man exercises, utilizes electricity, don't you? You know, you can see indications throughout history that man had some inkling that it was there. There's different things that they can point to, different you know, the ancient Greeks in 600 B.C. did something that they 
recognized with some form of static electricity, and there's other things that, that make it evident that man had some notion there was something out there. But it wasn't until the 1700s that they really began to scientifically at all understand it. Um, it's not put into, you know, everybody talks about Benjamin Franklin. Um, you know, well, he, he was one of the ones that sort of furthered the understanding of what that power was. But it's not until Faraday comes along in, in, the, in 1831 that you have any application of that electricity whatsoever. Not until 1831. And then it's 1878 that Edison invents the incandescent light bulb. So you've gone a long time, is my point, before that power's ever utilized. It was there, but nobody used it. Just because nobody used it, did that change the fact that it was always there? No. No. Just because Christians today don't use the power that they've been given, does that mean that they haven't received power or the power's not available? No. It's there, but it doesn't do them any good. You know. <clears throat> Think about all the different benefits of electricity that are in this household. There's lights, there's the stove, there's the refrigerator, there's the toaster, there's the coffee pot, there's the computer, there's the printer, there's the, and the list goes on and on and on, right? Mm -hmm. And those are all different ways that we enjoy that power. You know, would you be willing to give all those things up? Well, you might, but do you enjoy all of those things? Yeah. You know, you enjoy them. And wouldn't it be silly to not utilize these things if you have them. And so it is with the power of God. We have this power and we should enjoy it. We should use it for what it was intended for. So that we could have power in our lives and so that we could also be witnesses about Jesus Christ to men that we could show them that power, that we could help them with that power, that we could make a difference in people's lives. Look at John chapter 7. In the, <clears throat> throughout Jesus Christ's ministry, as the Father revealed things to him about this gift of Holy Spirit that was, going, was coming, he, he taught about it, and a lot in the final days. But in John chapter 7, he talks about it back then. In verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, there's a lot of information in that verse that addresses a lot of different misconceptions that some people have. Was it possible for them to have that Holy Spirit at the time that he was talking to them right then? No, it says that right there in that verse. He was telling them about what they would do in the future. 
He was telling them what would happen when the Holy Ghost was given, but right there it says it was not yet given, for he was not yet glorified. Before Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead, it was not available. If it could have been available, if man could have received that gift of Holy Spirit then, if he could have had that power in the same way then that we have it, then Jesus Christ wouldn't have had to go through all of that. But it's clear in this verse that it was not yet given. Holy Spirit was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. But he taught them back then what they would do when they did receive that power and that out of their bellies would flow rivers of living water. When they, when they received that Spirit, they manifested it. They manifested it. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14, he teaches more. In verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. That word comforter, I love the word because, you know, it, it is something that does bring comfort. But what the real meaning of that word is, is another master, another teacher or rabbi. It's another one that would help them in the way that he had helped them. Verse 17, Even the Spirit of, the tr of truth... Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. He tells them here that that spirit is that spirit of truth that they will receive because they've known him, because they've believed on him. Look down in verse um, 25. Same chapter. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's what that Holy Ghost would do. It would teach them all things. And there, the real fulfillment of that is the church epistles, the all truth that the Holy Ghost would you know, enable them to, by revelation, know. But it's not just that the church epistles, it's that presence of spirit within us, and that he will teach us and bring things to our remembrance, that it, that gift is power, and it's power that we need. We need that in life. How many times are you in situations where you need to know? You need to know what to do. You need to know something about a situation. And many times beyond what you can just know by your five senses. That's what that gift of Holy Spirit does. That's what word of knowledge is. It's you know that knowledge that is not available to us, for us to know by our five senses. And yet God can do that. Same way with the Word of Wisdom. Look at chapter 16 of John. 
still learning more about what this power is and how he instructed them and told them about it. In John chapter 16 and verse 5. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. You're sad because I'm telling you I'm leaving. You know, you're sad because I'm, I'm telling you that I, I'm not able to stay with you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Wow. You know, it's expedient. This is better for you. But it's not if we don't use it, you know. If we don't use the Spirit, well, then certainly it would have been better to have Jesus still here, right? You know, we could write him letters. We could call him up. We, you know, what do we do, you know? He would have been really, really busy. He, he had his hands full just handling the 12. Think if he had to deal with all of us. <laughs> That's why it was more important, why it was better for that gift of the Holy Spirit, because that is in every believer. Every born-again believer has that spirit. And everyone has that ability. That ability, just as though Jesus Christ was with you still. What is it that he could tell you that God can't tell you by spirit? What is it that he could do that can't be done by way of that gift? And the answer to that is nothing. Anything, what would you like? What would you like? Think about that. If Jesus was here today, if Jesus came to your house today, and after you finish putting away all those things, as the poem goes, that, <laughs> to get ready for him. It's a great little poem. I have to share it sometime. What would you, you've got a day with him. What would you ask him? What advice would you want? What would you ask him to do for you? Now realize, you can do that. He doesn't have to be here. What he said, you want to know what he thought? You want to know what he thinks? Well, this is what he thought. He thought it was better that he would leave so that we could have this gift of Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But we got to grow up. We have to grow up. We can't remain spiritual babes. You know, Paul couldn't give them the great mystery in Corinth because they were still babes. They were still carnal. They couldn't go beyond their, their stupid five senses. We've got to grow up. We've got to be mature. We've got to do the work that it takes to be spiritual, to be mature Christians, to not just be carnal so that we can use it. Where did I leave off? Verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, that all truth I was talking about. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. 
This is what the Spirit would do. This is what that Spirit would do when it came. And it's arrived, and we have all of that. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, that wonderful day of Pentecost. When that Spirit did come. Acts chapter 2, the apostles did what they were told. Good thing. And there they were. Verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They all being the, the twelve, the original eleven and the replacement, Matthias. And the place was the temple. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, Panuma Hagion, Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They received power when that Holy Ghost was come upon them, just like Jesus Christ promised. And what was the operation, what was the manifestation of that power? Speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. You want, to see, you want to see the power of God in your life? You don't have to go far. <laughs> if you speak in tongues, anytime you want to see the power of God, boom, there you got it. Right away, boom's quick. You speak in tongues. We began this meeting with the, the manifestations of speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Every time you go to a believer's meeting, every time that you're not just watching it over a video, but... Every time you're part of a body like this, you can have those manifestations operated where you can hear from God. We have this great power, and those are just a couple of the nine manifestations of it so that we can enjoy it. God bless. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.